Alright, so I, I have one thing to tell you about uh, before we get started, and uh, this is a planting roots update. If you are newer, newer, don't know what planting roots is, uh, basically we have to be out of this building at the end of 2016. Okay, so we have like a little less than a year and a half at this point, which I just realized that, so my feet just tingled a little bit and I got a little scared. Uh, so, uh, so last year we did this thing called Planting Roots, and we got everybody together, we did uh, five weeks of daily devotionals together, uh, all of our gospel communities were centered around this idea of planting roots, and, and if God was leading you guys to help us to you know, get a permanent home. We've been looking for a permanent home for a really long time, nothing works out, there's not enough parking, and you guys came together and said, yeah, we're going to help and, and do this, so we called this whole thing Planting Roots, and eventually you know when things stick because we use Planting Roots now as like a joke thing, because like we'll say, oh, hashtag Planting Roots. You know, we, like, don't want to spend the money on, like, that pickled hamburger or something. You're like, oh, hashtag my ears, can't do it. You know, just whatever. Anyway, so uh, we keep trying to give you updates about this and how it works. Uh, right now, uh, we, we're trying to get all of our stuff together to submit to the city for some zoning changes and plan development per- permit and things like that. Uh, but in the midst of that, we've got issues with, like, stormwater runoff. Because the city kind of annexed this corner, and it's, like, city and then everything around us is county, right? So if you get an accident on this corner, you're just messed up. I almost said the wrong word, okay? Yeah, because, because they, they don't know who to call, okay? It's like, no, is that me? I don't, it's not me. Call the city. That's not the city. Call the sheriff. It's, it's, anyway, it's not. So we're trying to figure out working things with the county, with this, for a stormwater runoff and do all these things. And it's, and it's kind of put us about two months behind at, at this point. But we are trying to move forward. Uh, we're just trying to get these things together. So it's not all bad news because once it, these things go together, hopefully it'll speed the process up a little bit because if we submit the way it is now, we may get rejected and we want to thing to kind of fit together and just kind of move forward really fast. Uh, you know, it's like you've got all these water regulations, and the state doesn't even understand. They pass the laws, and they don't even know, really know what they say. So we're kind of working through all that stuff. So what we want from you guys is we would uh, covet your prayers a lot uh, for your staff, the board, contractor, architects, engineers, uh, city planners. Uh, and I know sometimes people in the city, they can be frustrated. If you ever tried to get like a permit to do anything, it's like, oh, wait, just pray for them. Jesus, please save their soul because I'm going to kill them tomorrow. You know, something like that. <laughs> anyway, uh, so so pray for them, uh, especially in the, in the key department meetings that we go into because we really want to do be a blessing to our city. I mean, we want to be that. And so the best way we can do that is to begin to actually pray for them. I think that's first and foremost. And the second thing in this is please, if you've made planting roots commitments, you know, don't stop. I know it's summer. Uh, your kids are running off here, there. You're gone on vacation all the time. All kinds of things are happening. You have all these unbudgeted things that kind of pop up. But uh, stick with your planting roots commitment. We really need it to get all the stuff there to kind of keep moving forward uh, as we diligently move forward to our future home. If you have any questions about planting roots or anything like that, just, just talk to me. Uh, uh, talk to one of the people at the Welcome Center. If they don't know, they'll, they'll send you to me, and I'll probably send you to somebody else, and then I'll grab Pete and go, hey, how's this working, Pete? And he'll go, I don't know. So there you go. That's how it works. Okay. Uh, welcome to Element. If you are new, you're like, that's a lot of information that I didn't even know. So uh, if you are new, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. Uh, there are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. Yes, they're very kitty and they're, and they're very bright, but this is our thing for Coloring Book All-Stars. So if I start to get boring, you can just color and stay awake and not go back and start to snore because it's very distracting to people around you. 
So anyway, uh, inside of these, you'll get some notes that go along with the message as well, some questions to talk to uh, one another about, your friends, your family, your gospel community, and things like that. Uh, my, ooh, my name is Aaron. I am one of the pastors here. I want you to stand with me the reading of God's Word. We will get started. This is Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. And it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us to be a people who simply trust you. Uh, trust you in all things, that we know that the outcome from beginning to end is in your hands. We don't need to fret and worry. We simply need, just need to love and serve and follow you and love those that you call us to love, which is everybody. Uh, so teach us to live in a way that honors you, brings great glory to your name, and in turn that brings great joy to your people. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are, as I said, in this fun summer series called Coloring Book All-Stars. These are all the favorite characters that you'd find in a kid's coloring book, or in a Bible coloring book, anyway. Uh, the ones who, if you didn't even grow up in a church, kind of like me, you still knew something about them. Uh, like stories like David and Goliath, uh, stories like John the Baptizer, Jesus walking on water. A lot of people hear these stories, and they've never actually been in a church. Uh, this week and next week, we're going to spend two weeks in the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, next week we'll look at the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Ooh, it's such a fun story. And, and this week we're looking at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So uh, here's your coloring book pictures to kind of show yourself off with. Uh, this, is, this is Janelle. Uh, she actually knows how to write her name. She's five years old, and she makes her J's backwards, but she still signed her name to it. Uh, this is Devana. She's six. And, and, and not being rude or anything, but there's like a huge difference between five to six. That's all I'm saying. Hopefully, if you color one of these in, you'll have a huge improvement, too. That's all I'm saying. All I'm saying. Um, Open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1. Now, uh, honestly, uh, I've taught the Bible for a really long time in different circumstances and places, and I have never taught through this story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, And I will tell you why. When I became a Christian, I was 17 years old, and there was this great black southern preacher who, who taught Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he called it Shadrach, Meshach, and One Bad Negro. And, and, and I was like, I swear, I'm a skinny white boy. I can never do that. Someone would crucify me if I did that. And, and he did such a great job. I've always stayed away from it. But now we're kind of in Columbia Girl Stars coming around. And I'm not going to tell that story. Uh, but, but I am going to kind of, I think, take it a little different tact at this. I think I got an idea for this that works. Um, hopefully what happens by the end of this story is that the story reads us. You don't simply read the story. C.S. Lewis once said something to the effect that good story is not just something you read. It's something that reads you. Uh, you see yourself in the story. Story, what's happening, and it begins to change your own life. The story we look at today, uh, the main part, again, happens in Daniel chapter 3, but we've got to start in chapter 1 to get to chapter 3 to know what's going on. So Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Now, I want to stop right there. Last week, I gave you this little history lesson about what's called the northern and southern kingdom in Israel. Um, after King Solomon, the kingdom in Israel becomes divided. You have a northern kingdom, which is ten tribes, and then you have a southern kingdom, which is two tribes. At this point, the northern kingdom has been hauled off into captivity, and this is 
is kind of the story of the southern kingdom now being hauled off also into captivity in Babylon. It happens under this guy, Jehoiakim. So uh, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. So the author starts out wanting you to understand some things. Israel is this country that God has blessed, and they had their own country. They had their own main city of Jerusalem. And in Israel, you have these two things called the religious and the political. They weren't two separate things that were meant to go together in Israel. So they have their own city, their own, their own country, and it's being overtaken by this king, essentially, from Iraq named Nebuchadnezzar. The captivity is how the book of Daniel starts. And it's important right from the start to see that it says, the Lord is the one who gave the victory to the Babylonians. God is the one who did it. God is the one who put them there. Probably doesn't sound good news to you if you're an Israelite, and if you read the story about who God is and control and all of these things, and you're kind of confused about that, that's exactly where the writer of Daniel wants you to be. These people were in the hands of the Babylonians because God wanted them there. Daniel's book becomes a story about control and identity. God has the Babylonians come in and step on Israel's identity and destiny. And the question becomes, well, what's God going to do now? How is he going to rectify it? How is he going to make it right? And if you're like, yeah, how is he going to do that? That's where the author wants you to be, control and identity. Artifacts have been taken from God's temple. This is Yahweh's house, and their identity has now been trampled. And it doesn't stop there. Nebuchadnezzar goes to one of his officials and says, now what I want you to do is take the best of the best of these people's young men, the quickest, the brightest, and put them in a training program to spend three years, and we will teach them how to become Babylonians. So not only does the king try to remove their identity in history, he is now trying to steal their future away to make everybody just like them everybody's going to be babylonians yay that's how it's going to work Uh, chapter one verse six among these were daniel hananiah mishael and azariah of the tribe of judah and the chief of the eunuchs gave them names daniel he called belteshazzar hananiah he called shadrach mishael he called meshach and azariah he called abednego Now, how do we know this is about identity? Well, because Daniel's name means God is my judge. It is changed to Belteshazzar, which means, O lady, which is wife of the god Bel, uh, protect the king. That becomes his name. Hananiah, it means Yahweh is gracious. God is full of grace. His name becomes Shadrach. That means I am very fearful of the gods of the Babylonians. That's what that means. Mishael is who is what God is. God is amazing. How do you, oh, let me tell you about who he is. His name becomes Meshach, which means I am of little account. I'm of nobody. The gods don't really care about me at all. Azariah means Yahweh is my helper. God is my present help. His name becomes Abednego, which means servant of the shining one. This is the god Nebo. So the names that are invoked are all about the Babylonian gods, Marduk, Bel, and and Nebo. So you have these these four guys. And these four guys in this place are really almost not like any other guy that you read in the scriptures. Certainly probably like nobody else in the training program that Nebuchadnezzar stuck them in. At one point, uh, they're being fed, and they say, you know what, we don't really want to eat the food that you keep giving us. You know, we, we want to eat differently. We want to eat kosher. We want to stay with some of the decrees of God. The head jailer says, you have to eat. I have to answer to the king. And so Daniel, in chapter 1, verse 12, says, okay, then test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. I know you vegetarians love this verse. Just, 
Then let our parents and the parents of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. Now, in the end, they must have been juice plussing or something in this because they look better than everybody else, right? And everybody only gets vegetables. If I'm one of the other guys and not one of those four guys, I'd be really mad. You took my hamburgers and french fries away and I am ticked. Vegetables, what's wrong with you? But this is really who Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel are. They're not just heads of the class. They're not, they're not suck-ups. What they do is they love the decrees of God. They love who he is. And this is how they have been living their lives. And if we would look at them, we would say, well, these are the people God's supposed to bless. They're doing all the right things, so God should give them whatever they think that they want. And yet they are where they are in this foreign oppressive country because God put them there. Again, it probably doesn't feel like good news to them, but they are exactly where they needed to be. That's chapter 1. So flip over to chapter 2. Chapter 2 starts, they have brand new positions of authority and oversight. And during this time, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Chapter 2, verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. That's good because we all should get them or you go crazy. Uh, His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Now, you have to know about Nebuchadnezzar. He is just not your average dude, okay? He is not your average dude. He has two settings. That's it, like two gears. One is really happy, and the other is really mad. That's all that he's got. And so he has this dream. He brings in the religious consulting community, and he says, tell me what the dream was about. Tell me what the dream was about. And they say, well, tell us the dream, and we'll tell you what it means. And he goes, no, no, I got a better idea. You tell me what I dreamed. And then tell me what it means. And they're like, oh, crap. Right? Verse 5, he says, if you don't, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. So he is like the prototype for every over-the-top villain you've ever seen in a movie. It's like Dr. Evil, General Zod, that's Luther right here. We're going to call him Lexicanezer. Okay? That, that's going to be his name. So he is maniacal. You tell me, I'm going to huff and puff and I'm going to blow your house down. These astrologers are like, at least tell us the dream so we can make something up. Verse 10, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth, that's really important, who can meet the king's demand. No great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. This means not with human beings. And the king is like, well, that really stinks for you. You better just figure that out. There's a political and religious structure in Babylon that says whoever or wherever the gods are, it does not among people. So this is where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in this oppressive culture. God puts them there. Why? Because God is a God who is with his people. And when he is with his people, he allows them to go through some very hard things to grow them and grow others around them. The story ends up being about the truth of the real God who's really in control. So King Nebuchadnezzar, he doesn't like the astrologer's response, verse 12. Because of this, the king was angry. So there's his gear. And very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. Nice guy. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Why? Because Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego end up becoming one of these wise men. They're in that club. Now, as a, as a little side note, if, if you've been to churches in like the time when you heard the word wise men, what do you think of? Christmas, right? Oh, the wise men, they, they went to see Jesus. Oh, that, that, that's so great. It's the birth of Jesus. After Nebuchadnezzar comes this, his son named Belshazzar. After Belshazzar comes a guy named Darius, who is, who is a Mede. He's the guy that throws Daniel in the lion's den. We'll look at that uh, next week. Uh, but uh, the Medes' religious system had these wise men. They called their wise men magi. 
Magi. And what is really interesting is at the birth of Jesus, wise men come from the east, Iraq, Iran, to recognize the fact that something amazing has happened. What is that amazing thing that has happened? They tell you that God has come to dwell with human beings. It's amazing. So this whole thing that's going on here, something rubs off when the Israelites are actually in captivity. The story has implications all throughout the biblical text, who God is, how God works. So anyway, all the wise men are about to be chopped up into little pieces by Darth Vader Knezer. Nice, okay. And Daniel says, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, I think I can help. So he says to the king, chapter 2, verse 27, no wise men, enchanter, magician, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. And he's like, right, that's why you're all dead. Daniel, but, but. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. So God gives Daniel a vision of the dream. He goes to Nebuchadnezzar, and he says, this is what you dream. You dreamed of a statue. And the top part was this head of gold. The second part was silver. The third part was bronze. The fourth part was iron. The feet were made of iron and clay. A stone was cut out. It hit this stature and knocked it over. That's your dream, right? And he's like, yeah, that, that was my dream. And he says, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. You're the head of gold. You have power and control. You're king of the world. But it's all going to get knocked down. It's all going to get knocked down. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, because he only has two speeds, switches the other way. And he's like totally happy now because someone told him his dream. He promotes Daniel to like one of the highest realms in the land, one of a brand new job. And Daniel says, what about my buddy, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego? And the king says, promotions for them too. Because he's really excited about it, all right? That's the end of chapter two. So now you go to chapter three. Okay, we're just speeding through this thing. It's like, I wish that people said every book of the Bible, just like that. Chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. I wonder where that idea came from, right? Whose height was 60 cubits and breadth 60 cubits. Now, some people think it was solid gold. It probably wasn't. Apparently, all the gold in the world that we have could fit in an Olympic-sized swimming pool, so I highly doubt this thing was solid gold. It's probably overlaid in gold. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. The king, then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Sounds like they got a whole lot of government officials. Hmm, sounds like our country. Okay, anyway, so he invites all these people, anybody who is anyone, to show up because Nebuchadnezzar, he loves drama. He just loves drama. He gets them all together and he says, okay, got a new law, here's the law. Anytime you hear any music, verse 5 of chapter 3, the horn, the pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, insert your favorite instrument here, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. That's the deal. No half measures. Death. Right? I'm going to be furious. There's my second gear. You're going in. So he lays down the law. Everybody bows down to this statue. Well, Almost everyone, you see where this is going, right? Verse 8, therefore at the time certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. Who are those? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, kids banging on pots and pans, cows mooing, and dogs barking, and cats meowing, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So they're tattletales. They rat them out. How does Nebuchadnezzar feel about this? Which gear does he go into? Furious. 
Okay, furious. Verse 13. The Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, dragon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And this is the kicker. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Now, it's easy to look at this story as a test of faith. A lot of people have taught this, teach that this is a story about a test of faith. Maybe in one sense it is, but that is not why Nebuchadnezzar built the furnace. For Nebuchadnezzar, this is about control. It's all about control. What does Nebuchadnezzar get? Whatever he wants. When does he get it? Whenever he wants it. That's when he gets it. Whose hands are all of these people in? Well, it looks like they're in Nebuchadnezzar's hands. You get a glimpse into his mind. You understand what he sees. In his mind, these people are not under his control because God put them there. They're under his control because he is the one who conquered. He is the one who controls. The only way he thinks the world works is when he is in control of everything, can explain everything around him. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. And then this is beautiful. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, do you see the profound difference in how these two cultures view and see who God is, how the world works? Nebuchadnezzar sees it all under his power. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego see themselves as standing before King Nebuchadnezzar, even in this moment, by the grace of God. Oh, God, God put me here in this country. This doesn't look like such a great thing. But yeah, you were before that guy for a reason. This is the God that they know, a God that has gone with them even into their captivity. Nebuchadnezzar's like, hey, who can save you from my hand? Who, God can save you from my hand. And they say, ours, ours, if he wants to. And even if he doesn't, he is still worthy of worship. I mean, how do you get to that place? How does that roll off of your tongue? Glad you asked. We're kind of in with that, okay? So we're going to come back to that. I'm going to finish the story. Uh, so Nebuchadnezzar is now, maybe he's got three gears. Like happy, furious, and really furious because now he just kind of doubles down and shifts into overdrive. Verse 19, the Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. Now, when it says seven times, it doesn't mean it got seven times hotter. That would usually break a furnace. It means that he probably stoked it with seven times more fuel to make sure it was really hot and burning really good. Why does he do this? Why not? Right? He's Dr. Strange Knezzer, okay? He's just, he's just going for it. He's got a reputation to uphold. You gotta, you gotta assume they didn't have like sharks with laser beam eyes to swim through first at that time. But if he did, they would have to do it. Because that's just how it works. Verse 20, And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning furnace. Now, if you've heard this story, what happens is even the guys throwing them into the fire die because of the heat. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... Not so much. They actually survive and are walking around in the fire. Verse 24 of chapter 3. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And at this point, it doesn't matter what Nebuchadnezzar says. The only answer is yes. Yes. What do you say? I don't know. But yes, the answer is yes. They answered to the king, to, said to the king, true, O king. I love that. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like, what does it say? A son of the gods, a son of the gods. See, the Babylonians say the gods don't live among human beings. 
what's this son of a God doing in this furnace? What's happening is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego hold to a truth about God. It is now only being illuminated to Nebuchadnezzar's mind. And what is that truth? That truth is God with us. See, this could be a Christmas message all around when Jesus comes. Call him Emmanuel. Why? Because it's God with us. The Israelites are in captivity in Babylon, but God allowed them to go there. This is a mind-blowing moment. God is still with them. God has never left them. He walked with them into that place because that's exactly where he wanted them. The world at this time is being turned completely on its head. We have this idea that, oh, if we're Christians and we love Jesus and we follow him, he's going to give us everything we want. It's going to be our victory over everything. No, no. Sometimes God sends you in some very, very hard situations. Very hard situations. Why? Because he wants to grow us. So now Nebuchadnezzar, he's super stoked, so he shifts back up the other way. Verse 26. The Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. So they come out. He sees they're okay. And then this is what he says. Verse 28. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. This is awesome. Then he shifts gears. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their house is laid in ruins <laughs> for there's no other god who's able to rescue in this way you call that baby steps okay you just got a couple of so so what's the story talking about well i think it's kind of talking about this nebuchadnezzar is a lot like who we are today in american culture we are so individualistic we think everything is all about us we're a lot like two-year-olds we want what we want when we want it and for some reason if we can't have it someone must be oppressing us or hurting us so we want the government to pass laws and give us assistance to get what we want and we always think yeah those other people do that no you do that too We all do that. It doesn't matter what God says. It doesn't matter what God has done. We should have the right to do what we want, when we want it, and how we want it. And if someone stands in our way, they need to be thrown into a fiery furnace to learn a lesson. That's what needs to happen. Now, if you have a two-year-old or had a two-year-old or been around a two-year-old at some point, you know how this goes. You have these showdowns all the time. Don't dump that on the ground. On the ground it goes. Eat that. Into the air it goes. All right? Don't touch that. They touch that thing. It's all about issues of control and who's going to win. And as a parent, what do you do? What you have to do. <laughs> Pray that I don't strangle them. You, you do what you, you, you do. Discipline. I mean, at least, at least you should. And showing them that they are not in control. You, know, the, you are the parent. And the parent knows better for them than what they do. You don't reason with a two-year-old. At two years old, they don't have the cognitive function to reason. Do you know why this was wrong? Do you understand? And the kid's like, what? I mean, they don't get it. They don't, get it. They don't understand. Two-year-olds are Nebuchadnezzar. They got two gears, happy and furious. I want cake. No. Ah! I mean, th- th- that's the gears. Now, sometimes God does things in our lives, and we don't understand what he's doing. He doesn't explain it to us, and it gets us very mad. But God's like, you wouldn't understand. You wouldn't even understand what's going on. Why, as a parent, do you say no or should say no to a kid? Why do you discipline or should discipline your kid? Is it because you want to hurt them in any ways? Because you want to be mean? No. You say no and discipline because the world should not be governed by a two-year-old. I know sometimes it feels like the world is, right? But, but it, it, it shouldn't be. There is another and a better way of living. Dan Allender wrote this book. It's called How Children Raise Parents. Excellent book. You should all read it. It's great. Okay. In this, he says, kids are always asking two questions. Number one is, am I loved? And secondly, can I get my own way? He said, to be a good parent, there's only one response in that. And that is, yes, you are loved. And no, you can't have your own way. 
But in our culture, we have four responses to that. We have, we have no, you're not loved, and yes, you can have your own way. I mean, your kids, if that's your parenting posture, your kids are never going to make it. Oh, your ball went in the street? Go get it. Whatever. I don't care. You know, that's, that's a horrible posture. There's a no, I don't love you, and no, you can't have your own way. That's very rule-bound. Rule bound. It's very depressing. But that's how Nebuchadnezzar functions as a king. Do this in a discussion. There's people who parent with, like, yes, I love you, and yes, you can do whatever you want. This is how it seems like a lot of the majority of parents are parenting today. And it's very self-indulgent, and kids never grow up. It's like, oh, my kids are so wonderful. Do whatever you want. Look how they talk back to me and scream in my face and punch me. They got such a good arm. That's what a lot of people do. Many people who treat this, their kids this way don't realize that this posture is actually, no, I don't love you, and yes, you can do whatever you want, because you're not really loving your kids. They're loving themselves because they let their kids do whatever they want, so they leave them alone. And then there is the yes. Yes, you are loved, and no, you cannot do whatever you want. That is a place of strength and delight. You know, why do you say no until your kids, they can't have cake and ice cream for every meal? Why do you say no, you can't eat McDonald's and French fries for every meal? Because it will destroy them. That's why. Saying no to that second question is a very profound way of saying, yes, I love you. I love you enough to not let you go down that road. And you know what? That's exactly how God loves us. It's exactly how God loves us. He loves us enough to allow us to get ourselves in tough situations, for him to even put us in tough situations, to not get what we want. But when we understand that and live in humility, we begin to grow. We begin to become the people he calls us to be. Ultimately, in the story, what happens is Nebuchadnezzar will have another dream. Daniel comes in. He's like, what did I dream? Daniel said, you saw a giant tree. Everything was under that tree, and it got cut down. It's a lot like the first dream. You think you're in charge, a lot of power control, but you keep pushing against God, and it's going to drive you crazy. So about a year later, in Daniel chapter 4, verse 29, it says, at the end of 12 months, he, that's Nebuchadnezzar, was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven O king nebuchadnezzar to you it is spoken the kingdom has departed from you god shows him ultimately who is in control and for the next seven years nebuchadnezzar will run around eating grass like an animal until one day he comes to his senses he looks up to the heavens and he essentially says you're god and i'm not and i'm finally beginning to realize that now what happens to nebuchadnezzar to daniel to shadrach to meshach to abednego to the entire nation of israel is only good news if god is a yes no god That is only good news in that way. If God is a no-no God, no, you're not loved, no, you're not in control, none of this is good news. But when you understand that Jesus says, yes, I love you, and no, you are not in control, it changes everything. I mean, look in the scriptures. Uh, he, He blinds the apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. Why? For the purpose of saving him. He allows all the apostles to be martyred. He sends Israel into captivity to be a blessing to Babylon. Why? Because he loves them. He has a plan to make his name great and strengthen people. All of this becomes good news only if we have a yes, no God. He loves us. No, we do not get to do always what we want. This is why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could actually stand in front of the fiery furnace, not entirely sure of what God would do, but understand fully that they were loved and that God is trustworthy. And that allowed them to say no to a bully king. Now, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, Jesus says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Now, a lot of people look at this verse, and they have a no-no view of God. They look at this, and they say, well, this is very depressing. God stands at a fork in the road, and if I choose the wrong way, God's going to pull his hammer and whack me on top of the head, and that, that's going to be it. But you have to understand, if God is a yes-no God, then this phrase says that there is a way that leads to life. 
And that's amazing. If God is a yes, no God, this is not a threat. This is a declaration of reality. There is a way that leads to life. This is the way that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego actually live. That there is one truth that leads to life. We are not God. We are not in control. We don't get our way. But this God who is in control, who is sovereign over all things, he loves us. And this God is moving heaven and earth to call people into relationship with him. See, this is true of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they stand in front of that fiery furnace. The threat for them, it's not the furnace. It's not all the heat. The threat for them was the idol that was set in front of that furnace. The threat was any number of lies, the wide path that led to destruction. See, the furnace could not destroy them, even if it killed them. But the idol could. The idol could. They stood in a place where they were probably scared, but they stood there in strength knowing that they had a yes, no God, that they were loved, but they did not always get their way. Maybe you need to have that reality spoken to you. You are loved, but you can't always have your own way. And so you've got to ask, what places in your life are you bowing down to your own idols and they are destroying you? What places are those? Is there a place in your life where you need to say, just like Jesus in the garden, not my will, but yours be done? Because you'll only be able to say that and live it when you understand that God is in control, that he calls right from wrong, but you are also deeply deeply loved and this is one of the things that drives people nuts today is that god calls what's sin and what is not and all of us in one way or another have sin and broken relationship with god and other people but what does god do even when he calls sin sin what does he do he also pays for it he sends his son to take care of that debt that we owed because of our sin it's a beautiful thing that god is a yes no god in such a way that he deems to save us I mean, I, I don't know if, if you get the depth of this. you got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They are these guys who, like, love God more than anything. They're always doing the right thing, and yet they end up in Babylon. It's not about how we live our life. It's about how Jesus lived his life, how we trust him, that everything that has separated us from God has been taken care of in the person of Christ, that, that God called sin, sin, and said, but I have made a way for relationship to be restored with him and with other people. This is why we talk about communion every week. It's the idea that you take that cracker that's broken just like Christ's body is broken for us. You dip it in the, in the wine or the grape juice. It represents his blood that was shed for you and me. What's that representing? That we are laying down our idols at the foot of him and living and walking in his love. That he is a yes, no God, and he calls what's in and what's out, and we trust him for all of it. That's what we do. We remember how we are supposed to live, how we're supposed to love, and understand that we love that way because God has first loved us. The band's going to come up. They're in here somewhere. Oh, they're all back there. Um, and as I do, I invite you, as I said, to take communion. There will be some deacons in the back, and if you need prayer, I mean, if you are in a spot in your life today where you're thinking, I've got all these idols, I've done all of these things, I don't know what to do with all of this, they would love to pray with you and talk with you about it. I mean, if you're, if you're in a place that uh, you, you don't know what to, what to make, what's up and down and left and right and all that. They'd love to pray with you and, and talk about it. That maybe, you know, your view of God has always been, I need to have a yes, yes, God. Oh, yes, I love you. Yes, you do whatever you want. And your understanding needs to deepen to the place where you understand that God is a yes, no God. They'd love to talk to you about that. Um, there's offering boxes on the side of on the back, and we give because God gave so much to us. Giving then is simply part of the worship. We don't pass a plate. It's a response to what he's done. Uh, there's food in the back. There was, like, muffins this morning, and someone made some homemade cookies, which I stole some and stuck them, hit them somewhere. If you don't like cookies, there's a fiery furnace outside for you.
Aaron Knezer. Um, Anyway, uh, grab something to eat, meet some other people, because one of the things we're always trying to do is connect you guys with one another, because we believe that the way that we grow deeper is by having relationships with one another, by having someone around us that can actually step into our lives and call us on some hard things, that can say some hard things to us, so we begin to grow, so we want to get you in relationships. So grab a cookie. It's our bait and switch to get you in a relationship with somebody, but grab a cookie, meet some people, and hopefully maybe take some of the sermon notes and, and ask those questions to one another and go a little bit deeper because our God is good, and I think we will only live in true freedom when we understand that, yes, he loves us, and no, we don't get to do what we want, but our God is good and faithful, and he always, always has been. Uh, let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to live and love and worship you in ways that honor you. Father, so often we think that because we're doing the right things or are perceived on right things that you will give us whatever we want. And sometimes the things that we want will destroy us. And so you say no. And then we get mad at you and don't understand what you are doing. And yet through it all, you're loving us. You're loving us. So teach us to also love you back since you have first loved us. Teach us to live and understand that you are everything that we could ever want, we could ever need. That the greatest miracle you've ever done is saving such a lost and broken people. And calling us back into relationship with you and one another. God, I ask that you would teach us what it means to stand amazed of your goodness and your grace that we would live in the hope that you have provided, that we would honor you, not just with our lips, but with the actions of our lives. And people would see how you love them because of how we love them. Grow us into who we need to be, even if that means going into a fiery furnace whether or not you physically save us in the midst of that, we know that you are worthy and that you are good and you will bring us home because you are the God that saves and you are the God that has saved us. So teach us to love you as you have loved us. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.